At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Thanks for joining me for Blunt Business on CannabisRia.com. Let's get right into it. My next guest is responsible for producing the annual MG Unpack Conference, one of the most influential cannabis events of its kind at places passionate cannabis retailers, brands, and accredited investors at the center of it all with unique opportunities to connect, collaborate, and access capital. Just happened back in April in New York City, and one of my favorite venues for conferences, the Midtown Manhattan Hilton, the 54th and 6th Avenue. Love that place. Always a raucous crowd. And here with me to talk about it, uh, about that and also coming up events, coming up to the Motor City, the co-founder and CEO of Jage Media, George Jage. Thanks for being on with me, George. Oh, Brasco, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. George has so badly wanted to be at the show, the Midtown Manhattan Hilton, 54th and 6th. I love that place. That place is a great place for conferences. Got to say that. And you had 2,500 leaders there across retail and brands. You had it going on with the adult use rollout of the York market, cannabis legalization in play, implementations already underway. A lot of uh, dispensaries being launched all across, all around that area as well in Midtown Manhattan. And those also, several of them, those social equity license. We've talked about that here on the program as well. And after the conference, you said this, quote, cannabis has continued to be hampered by the failure of our government to provide access to safe banking, relief from the 280E tax code, high taxation, and complex regulations. I believe that the excitement of the new markets coming online on the East Coast created a sense of euphoric and contagious optimism among the delegates attending the event that few of us have felt over the past few years. End quote. Now, talk to me, George, about the momentum of the East Coast expansion. Be, at what time to be there for this show and what takeaways you got from what the conference offered? Oh, uh, wow. That's a, that's a, a, there's a lot to unpack there. No pun intended, Brasco. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, keep in mind, I mean, part of what we are creating with MGM Packs is we're not trying to be the biggest conference in the industry um, in, in terms of sheer attendance. We're not just trying to sell people boost, uh, you know, um, you know, line our pockets. We're really trying to create an event that is really, truly the industry deserves and supports the really the most important people in our industry, which are the licensed operators. Um, so we're limiting our audience to people that, you know, are, are, are licensed executives with the title of manager or higher, you know, at a, at a retail, at a, a brand, at a cultivation, labs, delivery, and everything else. 
Um, this is really where all supply side decisions are made. And I know there's a lot of supply side shows out there that, you know, kind of fill the aisles with light bulbs and label makers, but they don't deliver the buyers um, because they're just not interested in looking at that. What the industry needs right now is access to capital. They need deal flow. They need to, you know, partnership opportunities. And so, um, you know, with MJ Impact, our, you know, our overall thesis is really is that cannabis is a consumer packaged goods industry and that the most important show should be focused around the brands and the retailers and the distributors. Um, and when I say brands, I'm talking cultivation too, because, you know, most cultivators are putting their product in a jar and putting a label on it, making a brand, or they're selling to a brand, you know, raw materials. So they have a vested interest in that CPG side of the industry, whether it's, you know, flour, pre-rolls or um, any other type of form factor. Um you know, going and launching this show in a very competitive market and starting a company in the, at the onset of a pandemic hasn't been easy. But, um, you know, we have differentiated ourselves significantly. And this is why in a very short period of time, about 18 months, I consider ourselves one of the top national shows, you know, alongside probably Benzinga and MJ BizCon, um, you know, in most people's eyes. And we're very grateful for the support we've gotten from the marketplace because we're trying to deliver a product of value. We're trying to support people and their businesses. Um, the very first show we did in New York was back in 2022. Um, the market, you know, we had to book that venue while the hotel was closed. Um, that's just kind of the nature of the events business. Um, and we held that show before, you know, there was really any significant traction in the East Coast market, um, you know, in the tri-state area and surrounding areas. Obviously, Massachusetts has gotten a jump on the East Coast. Um, some other states are, are moving pretty quickly, um, you know, Rhode Island and, and Maryland and stuff. Um, but there wasn't really a, a true market, but there was an overwhelming, you know, euphoria and kind of excitement about, you know, what could be on the East Coast. Um, it was a lot of people from California coming to the show because they either had roots in, in, in the East Coast and they just like, I'm giving up on California. It's a bloodbath out there. We want to find a way to bring our brands or, you know, invest into the East Coast market. And then this last year, um, obviously they rolled out the regulations. There's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of confusion, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's not easy. So I don't want to, you know, fault the OCM or anybody else for the efforts they're doing. Um, and, you know, but there's only nine retailers that, you know, were actually operational in the state of New York. And when we held that show, so if we go back next year in the spring, you know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, all these states are going to have such robust markets going on. There's still early stage. There's still going to be a lot of, 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 you know, interest and and passion to try to get their product out in the marketplace to build a brand in those those states um and you know as the saying goes uh if you can make it there you can make it anywhere so i think you know us is a, a leading global exporter of brands um i think california and new york are going to be you know the states that brands are going to go global from um you know it doesn't mean they start there but you know that's got to be their launch pad to go global so when you look at the new york market itself the change from year to year, because you had a lot of people that were just, I mean, this time last year, I was interviewing people that were either consultants or investing in the market or existing MSOs that are looking to go ahead and expand into New York State as soon as the, everything was green lit. Uh, talk to me about just where the, the difference was, I guess, in who attended and who exhibited that was a real New York influence and really was embedded in the New York market. And what big of a difference that was from year to year for the show itself? So, um, you know, I think, you know, coming into this last show in New York, obviously we were able to build a pretty strategic partnership with the OCM to um, really, you know, get them on stage. Um, Axel Burnaby, who's, um, you know, one of the key authors of the regulations, spoke on our Venture Summit stage. 
Um, we had several people from New York and New Jersey speaking from our main stage, kind of talking about the market conditions. You know, and I think, you know, um, you know, we're always looking for those those partnerships that we can, you know, build in those state markets. Um, you know, my wife was my co-founder and my business partner. Um, and I had a chance to meet Jason, one of the founders of the Card Coalition. And this is not, you know, all light. They're not all licensed. They're just basically building a, you know, kind of, again, a coalition of the people that are, are applying for these, you know, conditional use adult recreational dispensary licenses um, that really want to be able to be a part of the market. And and listening to somebody like Jason's story, and I, I don't want to go into detail because it's his story for him to share. But, you know, here's a young man that, you know, faced tremendous adversity through his entire life, um, has a family now and has an opportunity to create a very successful enterprise for himself and, and you know, create maybe generational wealth for his family. And if, if those aren't the people we're fighting for and the people that we're trying to serve at our show, then we shouldn't be in this game. Um, there's too many events out there that just want to sell real estate and, and don't care about the outcome. Um, we care more about the outcome than the income. Uh, Jason Tanthel, you're referring to with yeah. the uh, card uh, cord uh, coalition. I don't even know how you spell that. Words, but C A U R D. We're going to bring up uh, the court coalition. That we're going to also bring up Axel a little bit later on. But I want to ask now, upcoming. We'll get back to New York in just a second. But you know, I couldn't help but go ahead and talk about what's upcoming for you. You've done New York the last couple of years. You did Las Vegas when you went out west, but now for the fall show. You'll be hosting a fall 2023 event in Detroit, Michigan, October 10th to the 12th at the Motor City Casino Hotel. It's the first time in Detroit. And aside from the historical significance, you mentioned your wife, Kim. Uh, you're also a partner in this uh, venture. You, she uh, was progressing on the announcement on how neighboring Ann Arbor, Michigan, was the first municipality in America to decriminalize cannabis in 1972. So what can you give me about early plans? We're, now, we're, we're well, less than four months out. What can you tell me what's going to be going on in Detroit and what will make it stand out? Sure. And, you know, when we started the company, you know, the intent was to have a biannual trade show. So we would go East Coast, West Coast. That model has kind of been proven. I've been, you know, in the trade show space for a long time. Um, and, you know, people are going to make decisions to go to events based on, you know, time and, you know, value, right? So, and, and cost and value, right? And, you know, so the cost of traveling all the way across the coast is is a lot different than maybe, you know, traveling an hour or two to go to a show. Um, you know, when when we did Las Vegas, um, you know, the first year we did it during MJ BizCon and kind of to be disruptive and really introduce our product, we got a tremendous amount of 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 compliments and fanfare around that. We went back as a standalone event and there's multiple events throughout the third and fourth quarter in Las Vegas. And people are really tired of going to Vegas. You've got the entire, you know, West Coast kind of under duress right now, um, both financially and, and you know, I think for a lot of the operators, you see people walking away from licenses. And, you know, we've thought about this, you know, very carefully and said, you know, listen, Michigan is the second largest cannabis market in the United States right now. Um, it's growing double digits, you know, almost 20%, you know, per annum. Um, there is a very robust number of entrepreneurs who travel all over the country looking to expand um, their marketplace, not just look at Michigan as a market. So, you know, all of those factors really play into what we're trying to create and the community we're trying to build. Um, you've got Ohio neighboring, which is a very exciting state that we expect to be coming online in the next couple of years, if not sooner. Um, you know, Illinois you know, there's shows in Illinois, but I mean, you know, Illinois, the number of licensed operators in that state is very limited, as we all know. 
Uh, Missouri's crushing it, um, and we've got some great partnerships down there. Mocan Trade's been a great association to work with. Um, several other individuals. You know, Oklahoma's not that far from from the Michigan market. So, you know, any event we do and any event that anybody does is going to have a certain amount of regional pull. Um, and we just see this as as being such a, an opportunity that, you know, we're helping people expand their footprint. Um, there's opportunities to acquire businesses in Michigan cheap right now because of the depression in the market. There's um, a lot of people in Michigan looking to expand outside of the state and build partnerships. Um, nobody, very few people are looking at say, the market right now saying, if I'm building a brand, I want to go and acquire another license. I want to go invest millions of dollars to stand up a full operation and have a completely separately managed and regulated entity. What they want to do is they want to partner with somebody that can manufacture their product in that other state through licensing deal. Um, the asset light model. Some companies don't own any operations. Some companies have operations in one or two states, and then they're basically expanding through this you know, license, license partnership. And you know we don't have a national market yet, so we don't know who the who the top national brands are going to be. Who are going to be the Cokes, the Pepsi's, the Seagrams, the Bacardi's of our industry, um, or past Blue Ribbons for that matter? Uh, maybe Peps, maybe not. Um, but we don't have a national market, so we don't have any national brands yet. But everybody's trying to position themselves to be there because we know that, barring occasional nonsense that we hear in the news media. I mean, the, the, you know, cannabis is going to get federally legalized at some point in the future. Um, I really hope that we can, you know, get some common sense in Washington. And I, I referencing back to my comment, I mean, I, I don't think that there's any other option than descheduling cannabis, which eliminates the 280, the safe banking and the interstate commerce in one fell swoop. Um, and gives those brands an opportunity to create operational efficiency um, improve their product performance. Most of these companies are really- At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. They're struggling. Um, there's a lack of access to capital and they're getting overtaxed and they're, you know, just racking up tax liabilities. Um, and for the most part, we get a big magnifying glass on New York State. We'll talk about that after the break. But one thing I want to make to mention of I, to unpack what you were saying, yes, Vegas, it's always been a little bit too much when it comes to conferences. And they're honestly just not being that welcoming to conferences like they once were. For whatever reason, resort fees, the pricing on food, the pricing on any comps, anything like that at all. I'm hearing so much now from Vegas. It's just they're, they're making it almost impossible. And that's why other markets are much more appealing. Yeah. Vegas goes through a lot of cycles. I mean, you know, there's I, I've lived there for 15 years. I've been doing trade shows in Las Vegas for over 30 years. Um, and. You know, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. And, and right now we're in that part of the cycle where the leisure travel is really strong. The corporate tra- the corporate meetings are really strong. So when they can, you know, sell space to a McDonald's who's going to spend a million dollars on food and beverage over a two or three day program um, and take a very small footprint versus a trade show, which is going to come in and need a much larger footprint and probably not be able to spend, you know, a third or even a quarter of that on food and beverage. They're going to they're going to opt for the corporate business. And then guess what? The corporate business is going to go away and they're going to come crawling back and being really aggressive to bring in the trade shows. Yeah. But right now, um, the, the the mid to small size trade shows are not going to fare well in Las Vegas. Um, it's it's gotten really expensive. Um, it's not what it once used to be. It'll come back. Um, Vegas is one of the most inventive yeah. towns I've ever been a part of. And um you know, it's built on on a lot of principles of hospitality, but the abundance of a convention space and the abundance of hotel rooms does make it an attractive offer. They've got great airlift into that city. You can really, you know, used to be able to get fairly cheap flights to Las Vegas just from about anywhere in the country. Yeah. Um, so those are all the things that we look at, like, you know, accessibility, you know, can we, you know, Detroit's got great airlift. So there's flights from, you know, throughout the Midwest and the East Coast and then the West Coast to get into Detroit. Um, fairly easy to really bring a national market into Michigan, which is still, again, going back to the second largest market in the United States. Obviously, we expect New York, New Jersey, and some of these East Coast states to eclipse it. But for now, it's number two. So let's go and go to commercial break where we're back. I'll be joining more. We're going to talk about the New York State market itself. I'm here with George J.H., co-founder and CEO of J.H. Media here on Blunt Business. Back after a short break. Welcome back. I'm here with George Jage, co-founder and CEO of Jage Media, and also the creator of uh, one of the creators of the MG Unpacked Conference. Again, we just talked about the event that held was held in New York this past April, the end of April, about a month or so ago, about two months, almost two months ago. And we just talked about the fact that they're going to be coming to Detroit October 10th to the 12th. And of course, the website is mgunpacked.com. You can already go ahead and get yourself to register to attend. Hit the nice big orange button right there on the front page. And get yourself involved. Now, uh, one thing I was going to make before the break also is the fact that when you talk about branding and the brands that were coming to the event and the fact that all these major brands are going to come across. We know Constellation Brands. We know that, you know, the Starbucks and the Coca-Cola's of the world, they're all kind of working their way into getting themselves involved in the either and to see their beverages or is something in the CPG space. They want to get themselves ready to go and jump on in when the time's right. They're just waiting for everything that's going to come into play. 
not a chance for a little, not a national brands to come into play yet because there's no chance for any interstate kind of commerce, even between states, if you could do it regionally on the West Coast. Feasibly, but that's not going to happen. It would be nice, but, you know, it's only been talked about as a gesture. That was what Governor Newsom saying, you know, if legalization comes in, we're welcome to do interstate commerce, but that's... And and as did Oregon, Washington, and Nevada's done that as well, but I mean, think about that for a second. When going back to California, um, you know, when they set up the regulations and created an adult use market, you know, there's an area in California that was supplying probably 70, 80 percent of the weed we smoked in the United States for a very long period of time. Yep. And those people had two options. Get a license, go legal and be subject to all sorts of overtaxation, overregulation, and then have their, you know, addressable market shrink to about five percent of what they were reaching previously, or continue to operate as they did before and be on the radar and be chased after um, by the federales, so to speak. Um, you know, and 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 you know, there's I would argue that, that that there's really no need to be growing cannabis in New Mexico and in Arizona and in Las Vegas and Nevada. Um, given the tremendous water shortages in even Southern California, um, right. when we have this abundance of pro- product being grown in Oregon and, and Northern California and even in Washington, um, that could easily supply the entire West Coast and create greater economic opportunity and leverage for these operators. Make a good point because if it was the fact that these states uh, where all these sort of these products are being done, if they weren't just you know beholden to the fact that they had to go ahead and grow within that particular area, and it cannot be just brought in from another state, would be even helpful. I mean, and I, I keep it fresh. It could be done. But right now, this is the, the, the this is the game they have to go and play with here right now until policymakers finally get the bills that have already been written can play put, put to for a vote. But we don't know when that's going to be. I still three, three to five years, maybe sooner. Maybe safe banking comes at some point in the next year. But, you know, I'm not holding my breath for it. Can't do it. No, I want to go ahead. I, I just feel like, I mean, you know, with, you know, the Biden administration's, you know, commitment to reviewing um, cannabis scheduling this year, um, a lot of the insiders and the people that are trying to work these angles, you know, feel that it's unlikely that we'll get descheduling. Um, there was a group that just wrote a white paper explaining why that this is really the only pl- plausible option. Um, man, I just, I really hope that our, leaders and our industry can unite in a way that can make this happen. I mean, you know, things are bad and things are, you know, there's a lot of companies walking away from businesses that they've operated for 10 plus years. They're selling their 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 retail dispensary for a dollar um, to hand off the debt that they've accumulated. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think this is, this is Custer's last stand in a lot of ways that we need to be able to kind of, you know, get the, right the industry. I mean, just give us a fair playing field. Yeah. Well, and I will tell you one thing is uh, from the social equity aspect, it has been good where uh, recently we've talking about the fact how California, they have allowed some grant money to get out there for research for various projects so we can go and get studies and and, and really have an understanding of where, how much benefit cannabis has and the origins of it and what it can be done. In the same way where social equity has been going on in New York State, let's go ahead and focus on that. I want to go ahead and transition there. Now, aside from the conference series, MJM Pack has been a proactive addressing the disparities in the market, providing a platform for diverse voices and businesses to showcase their products, connect with investors and industry leaders, and drive meaningful conversations in, around diversity and inclusion. 
in cannabis. And one of your initiatives, this main initiative, is the MG Unpacked Social Impact Scholarship, a partnership with our academy, a 5013C accelerator supporting BIPOC and justice-impacted cannabis entrepreneurs, as well as partnering with Oaksterdam University and the Connecticut Social Equity Council, Cannabis Business Accelerator to support their social equity licensees. You said this about this, quote, we don't approach MG Impact as just hosting an event. It is about building community that supports the underrepresented and independent operators in our industry. So talk about this proactive prioritizing of these initiatives, George. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the reasons that my wife, Kim, and I have been successful working together and um, raising a family and building a life together is I think we complement each other very well. And and Kim is so intuitive and, um, you know, compassionate and empathetic. And, and so, you know, she steers all of our conference programming. She has a secret committee of retailers from across the country that, that we work with to really develop the best content. But, you know, her priority has always been like, how do we get the underrepresented voices on the stage? I mean, you know, typically in industries, you have the same speaker speaking at the same events. We don't sell our stage. There's other events that do that and to generate revenue. We don't think that that's delivering the highest value to the market or to the people attending our event. Um, and there's no higher form of learning than peer-to-peer peer learning. So when we build out our conference program, we want to make sure that we're bringing people to the stage um, that you don't hear from every day, that have a story to tell, that that have a perspective that's unique and different, that's not just, you know, hey, let's bring in and no disrespect. I mean, the MSOs are part of a healthy ecosystem that we operate in, um, you know, but, you know, we don't need to have a bunch of MSOs or a bunch of, you know, uh, investment fund, you know, operators to kind of come in and talk about how great they are. We want to talk about, you know, people who are, are fighting real struggles that can share stories that can help somebody else be more successful in their business operation. Um, so when we build our conference program, we're always looking at saying, how do we make sure that we have diversity um, I, I heard the term uh, mantle, um, where <laughs> it's it's a panel of just men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just you know it's 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 just you know having diversity, people of color, people you know, people of different you know genders and and ethnicities and 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 sexual orientations or whatever, and making sure we bring all these voices to the table through our conference programming is is key. Uh, but talking about the R Academy program and and Oaksterdam. Um, we've been working with our academy for a number of years, and I can't say enough kind words about you know what amazing human beings uh, Hillary and Devin, who run that program, are, um, and the people that they've brought in through their program that continue to support and kind of take leadership roles in that program. Uh, but when we looked at you know kind of the the issues in and around the social injustice and the racial injustice that you know cannabis is trying to correct, um, you know through business ownership. You know, I see I see event organizers saying, "Oh, we're going to give you know ten free passes out to you know social equity or BIPOC owned businesses, or do that." Like, how does that help somebody? Because they still got to pay to get there. They still you know need the funds to get there. And then when they get there, how are they going to interact with the audience um, and have the coaching that they need to be successful at that event? Um, we saw this as an opportunity to really kind of put the rubber to the road. And so what we do is. Um, and and we we approached Hillary on this years ago, and and we plan on working with them forever. Um, yeah, you know, we go out and as we're selling sponsorships, sell sponsorships for this. We get you know we divert all the money to their organization, so we're selling against ourselves because it's the right thing to do to support their organization to then allow those 
BIPOC-owned businesses, the justice impact of the social equity applicants that are part of their program to be able to travel to the show and go to market so that they can meet with investors. We've held you know, special investor meetings for you know, our academy to get them in front of more investors, um, had meetups on our show floor to get more interest around it, um, created a special area that we call out on our floor plans that's always really an active area of our floor. Um, you know, provide, you know, our academy boost space so that they can continue to preach their mission. Um, Dale Sky Jones, um, I, I listened to her talk, I would say, uh, it was probably around like 2015 or 16 in an event in California. They were, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get their, their latest propositions across the board. And I was just moved. Um, she's, she's fire. Um, oh, she's amazing. She yeah. just speaks the truth. She's not afraid to take mm-hmm. an idea. Um, and she's, you know, listen, what she's doing is not easy. And she's built, you know, Oaksterdam has probably educated more people in our industry than any other organization to date. Um, help train them to have the jobs and the places in our industry. Um, it's not the only solution. It's not necessarily saying it's the best or, the, or better than anybody else's. It's just she's been more effective. Fact. And, um, you know, when she's, you know, she's gone out and kind of expanded what she's done and take that, that, that knowledge capital to, you know, go into a place like Connecticut and really support some of the social equity applicants in that state. When I found out about it, I'm like, Dale, how can we help? Um, and so we created an opportunity to get those people to our show. And if they can get into, if, you know, they, they, they found themselves now with an opportunity to own, own a business and create success for their family, for their community, um, for their friends, for their network, um, employ people and everything else. And, and, and kind of, again, right some of the wrongs of our, our past mistakes. Um, you know, they need to be in a room where they can learn from people that have built these businesses, people that can invest in them, people that can help supply them, people that can, you know, just be a resource for them that they can call up next week and say, hey, this is a challenge I'm facing. Have you ever dealt with? And I think that that just getting the right people in the room has so much power than just trying to say, hey, we're going to throw up a tent. Anybody can come in and nobody knows who's talking about what um, or who's from where. Um, we think that, you know, again, curation is is in creating a highly curated event, both in the content, in the audience, in the companies exhibiting. Like we we have ancillary companies at our show, um, but we don't sell like, you know, 100 plus packaging companies and know that there's not enough buyers to make them successful at the event. So we limit the number of packaging companies, the number of you know, accounting firms and and suppliers in each category so that we can control the growth and deliver really exceptional returns on investment. So let's go move along and talk more about social equity when it comes to the conference itself and give from somebody else's perspective. Stupid Dobe actually reported on the conference and they mentioned about folk, uh, focusing on social equity and by doing that, that the conference is taking a crucial step towards dismantling the barriers that hinder minority participation in the cannabis market. Organizers have created a series of panel discussions, workshops, and networking events that aim to educate and empower entrepreneurs from marginalized communities. And these initiatives, attendees are gaining invaluable insights, practical skills, and access to resources that can help them thrive in this dynamic industry. For me, I know when I have interviews that come across that can speak to these areas, it's just organic. It's not even, it's it'd be for, and I can imagine you can feel the same way when the agenda comes in, that it's not that hard to find. It's not like you really have to go and seek out. There's a lot of good stories out there and a lot of good information. And it just comes down to the bottom line of representation. Those disenfranchised and marginalized communities 
that should get their 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 chance to also thrive as entrepreneurs just like anybody else should. Sure. You know, given that opportunity is there, but also I always put a point where I don't want it just to be something that it's just per, this purely performative in a sense and doesn't have really any real teeth behind it. But that is what you're doing with MGM Pact outside of the conference and in the conference itself. And actually that report from Stuart makes the point. They validate the fact that what you've been doing has been the right step. So this standard you're setting yourselves, you and Kim, but now what about the rest of the industry? What should they be doing more based on with the benchmark that MGM Pack has already set? Oh man. Um, yeah, I, I think again, it's, you know, going back to your point, it's, it's, it's really about just creating access and a level playing field. Right. And, and also, you know, creating a safe space that you feel welcome at. Um, and, um, you know, just really, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's almost just fundamental to just listening. Um, you know, listen to the market, listen to your customers, listen to, you know, their customers, um, understand their business and, you know, what is it that they need to help them be more successful? Um, you know, we're not, you know, trying to, um, create any type of, of, and don't get me wrong. I don't want to make it where the industry is is being culpable. I'm saying they need to go and talk to the states because New York State has been doing so much for themselves for social equity ever since the bill was put was signed by Governor Cuomo and Governor Hochul has been implementing it through throughout. The grant money's been there. The opportunity's been there. The only thing I've been saying about it on with a certain guests we've had on is that you know the process is slow. Sometimes it can take whiles for. For you know, some of these dispensaries that make themselves available to go in and get in front and open up without having to go through a pop up or going through inspections or whatever there is. But is that something that you feel like New York's got it right? That's why I would figure, you know, who were you were able to go and talk to with Axel or Jeremy or or Jason and the people that you were able to bring on to talk this subject. Yeah. We'd like to see the same thing go on with other states. What can they be doing that New York and what your conference is doing? I don't think I don't think there's been a state that's rolled out the regulatory um, uh, plans without criticism or eventually lawsuits post, right? And um, you know, I you know I do appreciate and um, you know how New York's taking the approach. I live in the state of Washington. I know they model their two tier system a lot after our state system. Right. Um, a lot of people that operate businesses in our state are frustrated because they don't have access to outside money. They can't. They can only expand to a certain limit. But, you know, I've spent a lot of time with, with Axel and with other members of the OCM. And I, 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 you know, listen, it's, it's, there's not a, a, a magic bullet here for anybody, but what they are doing is obviously saying, Hey, we're going to focus on justice impacted. Um, that has impacted colors of community more so than, um, you know, Caucasian communities. So by doing justice impacted, we are naturally going to have an impact on, on social equity. Um, and what they're trying to do is really kind of protect their retailers. They know that there is a inevitability that the walls come down, that interstate commerce happens. Um, cultivation, you know, 70, 80% of it may be offshore at some time in the future in places like Colombia and Sri Lanka and India and, right. uh, you know, South America and Africa, um, you know, where a lot of crops can be grown, you know, in, in abundance, um, and be transported to the United States more cost effectively. Um, so, you know, they know that at some point when that happens, they want to make sure that there is a solid base of independent operators that have these retail licenses that will reinvest that money into their communities, create jobs on a local level, 
um, and versus the kind of, you know, big box stores of the world and not, not pointing fingers at the MSOs, just saying that, you know, when you have these, you know, larger corporate entities that are, are basically sucking the profits out of those local communities and consolidating them for um, a very specific, you know, shareholder interest or a public shareholder interest, um, doesn't have the same, you know, long-term economic, you know, effect that, 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 you know, keeping this independent does. So I, I think that they're playing the long game. Um, it's tough. Um, they are subject to tremendous amount of criticism. Um, I would not want to walk a mile in any of their shoes, um, knowing how hard it is for them to do this. They're doing the very best that they can for now, and they're making adjustments along the way when they realize that they need to. Um, you know, they are going to allow some of these, you know, MSOs to start expanding and having a footprint there, so everybody gets a little bit of a taste. But they're also going to control that so that the MSOs can't go in and just kind of squeeze out the smaller players. As we said, New York would be a great example. It's been putting a good example in front, taking, like you said, from Washington State's example the previously. And, of course, with all these different states have been green lighting, they're learning as well in the same way. And they're having to go back in and re-implement and go ahead and reevaluate and readjust. Even with New York State, they went ahead and voted again with the, o- the OCM. In their social equity economic plan, they granted 50 more conditional adult retail dispensary licenses, CAURDs, and they're looking at the adult use regulations, revising them, outlining new enforcement powers, all these other things. But one of the areas I want to talk about before we go to break, when we go to break, excuse me, that I think is very important is tackling the illicit market, which that's one of the areas that are definitely impacting social equity and a couple different fronts. I'm going to ask you about that after a short break. I'm here again with the co-founder and CEO of JH Media and the MGM Pack Conference, George Jage here on Blood Business, back after this short break with final questions. We're in the home stretch. I'm here with George Jage, co-founder and CEO of Jage Media and MG Unpacked, the MG Unpacked Conference, which once again, they'll be coming to Detroit and the Motor City Casino Hotel, October 10th to the 12th. The website is mjunpacked.com. You can go there right now, pre-register. If you want to go ahead and speak, sponsor, attend. Go find out on the website and get yourself involved. It's a great show every year. And first time Detroit for those in the Midwest, chance to go ahead and check the show out first and foremost. So there were a couple of names we've already mentioned on the program that made headlines from MGM Pack that spoke of the event. So there was Jeremy Rivera. He's a co-founder of the New York CA uh, Card Coalition. Uh, Coalition. You mentioned Jeremy uh, Toronto. The, or Tor- I said that Jason. name wrong, but so thank Jason you. Toronto. There we go, Jason. Uh, so the thing is that he's working was working a card coalition table at the conference and said some of the investors he's spoken to have raised concerns about the illicit market eating into illegal sales and something New York lawmakers are trying to address. Axel Burnaby, we've already mentioned several times on the program, he's senior policy director for the New York Office of Cannabis Management. He was trying to convince investors to put their money in the state's burgeoning legal retail market. So I've talked with various guests here on the program and on the cross the network about New York State when it comes to the illicit market, the chance for legacy operators that might have been working in that illicit market but want to be able to go legit and get one of these social equity licenses and so on and so on. So it's the representation of legacy operators I talk about, law enforcement response when the fact they have to go after 10,000 different, you know, shops that are opening up, whether portable or opened up, whatever it might be. I mean, when I went and walked through New York City, Back in March, just seeing all these other stores that I know are not dispensaries that were signed up, but you see the green lease out there to try to just go ahead and 
you know, take advantage of the situation while there's a where legalizations come into play. Uh, what's the course of action that was expressed among attendees when it comes to tackling the illicit market in regards to social equity? I mean, it's it's complicated. And I think, you know, really, when you look at the you know issue of around the illicit market versus the legal market, I mean, California, New York are probably top of mind. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's also a lot of concern and delicacy around, you know, that to create a successful legal market, you need to crack down on the illicit market in an industry where there's been a large amount of distrust with uh, federal government and law enforcement. Um, and an industry that has already punished a lot of people unjustly for nonviolent crimes involving plant medicine, right? So, um, you know, it's a very delicate situation to deal with. I mean, California, you know, when they rolled out their market and plenty of criticisms around that, um, you know, they made it, you know, virtually, you know, a slap on the wrist if somebody was operating an illegal operation and, you know, they can shut down and, and set up and shut down and set up um, over and over and over again, knowing that, you know, they might have a three month run at a location. They might be able to make X number of dollars and they might have to pay, you know, Y dollars and fines. Um, and New York, you know, has, has taken the approach that they are going to hold the landlords liable um, to an extent um, in the crackdown so that, um, you know, it's not just the people setting up these illicit shops. It's also the landlords to discourage them from providing space to them. Um, and. You know, it, it's, uh, I think a lot of investors, I've talked to talked to a, a lot of investors, I mean, they they feel that they want to veer away from New York. Um, some of the big operators in the, in the country want to stay away from that state because of the amount of illicit operations there. We know that there's a number of companies who have, from California, who have, you can go to California and find their products in one of these illegal bodegas that are operating and selling cannabis, right? Or it's on the shelf and it's got the California tax stamp. Now, some of that's going to be counterfeit. There's no way of uh, regulating that. Some of it's legit. Um, yeah. I think you got to let it play play out. Um, I think that the the New York Office of Cannabis Management understands the severity of it, and if they do not take an aggressive stance and move quickly to start shutting down these operations, um, that that they'll never get control of their market. Um, you know, California is one of those markets, too, where like, I mean, everybody had somebody that they could buy weed from before they legalized the market. And, you know, if it was a trusted source and part of the promise of, of legal cannabis is um, you, you can keep it out of the hands of kids. Um, it's going to be tested and safe. So, you know, it's not been adulterated. Um, it can be taxed and regulated. Right. And so we can generate revenue, you know, for the municipalities and for the states that are operating this stuff. And um if you've known a guy for 20 years that you've been buying your weed from, I mean, it, I pretty much trust him at this point. Right. Um, yeah. and you know, he's probably kind of a family friend and he probably comes over for dinner. Um, so, you know, it, and so, you know, I think, you know, California has got a little bit more work to do on how they can address this, the, the vastness of that state, uh, versus New York, which obviously in the municipality of New York city, is still a relatively concentrated area where they can go in and very effectively shut down a lot of these operations quickly. They're obviously working on it now. They've gone out and done some stuff. I thought the funniest thing was when um, all of these little kind of uh, food trucks that were, you know, selling oh yeah, weed weed lollipops that were basically Delta Eight, Delta Nine stuff. They knew they couldn't really shut these down, so they just basically, you know, gave them an infinite amount of parking tickets and then imp impounded all their vehicles. 
Um, and then they pop back up and they'll just keep shutting them down. And eventually, um, the government usually wins. Um, it's tough to, tough to take down the government. So I think with the, with the right amount of, of applied pressure and being sensitive to, you know, making sure that there is a clear path for the legacy operators to have a seat at the table, you know, going back to what I said about California, I mean, it was a zero win, so, you know, option. You had, you know, a binary option of going legit or continuing operations, and neither one of them were a good path forward once they legalized. Uh, because New York is is probably a majority of the the cannabis has been imported, um, you know, one of the challenges that they have there is that, you know, they allow the initial growers to grow outdoor weed so that they could, you know, they're harvesting, a, you know, once a year and they've got to freeze dry it and put it on the shelves, whereas a lot of the illicit operations that have operated in the state of New York have been doing indoor cultivation. So it's a very different quality, very different experience. So there's going to need be a need for consumer education by the industry, not by the government, to really understand about you know quality and uh, efficacy and and everything else, and and to make sure that the people who are growing through the licensed market have a fair opportunity on the store shelves. Um, and again, I, I, if I were to put myself in any type of government position, I would go into this with a very simple plan of saying we're going to regulate the market, we're going to charge zero taxes, rather than say we need to claw in our 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 tiff on this let's have zero taxes on on legal cannabis for you know a two or three year grace period and have a progressive tax from there so that you can really embed and, and establish the opportunity for you know legal cannabis to be competitive with stuff that is not being regulated tested or or stamped there's a lot i think if i had to be a government official i would want to go and make sure that my abacus is like moving you know, some of those spots, I'll move some of it over to the other column, okay? Because it's time to go ahead and like look at over, you know, change the weight of what sides what when you're worrying about the high taxation you mentioned when we started the top at the start of the show. Of that's an issue we have when you're looking at just the market itself. When some, when many states are dealing with up to 15%, what is it? Colorado has 15% tax from cultivator to retailer, Oregon 17%. Washington, 37% tax on all sales for recreation use. California also up there, you know, 15% excise tax required from the consumer. But then at the same time, if I look at New York State and I say, okay, illicit market operations will capture up $7.2 billion of revenue in the next seven years. A third of that could be tax revenue that goes to the state of New York. Same way it goes to California. They should have it where take down the tax, the, the high taxes, cut them down significantly and go after the illicit market that's taking away your money in the first place. Why are you going to go ahead and penalize the legitimate owners when you can go ahead and crack on crack down on the illicit marketers out there that are taking away the tax revenue that's there? Go chase the tax money. Yeah, it's it's complicated. And and so, you know, by a lot of estimates, we had a $50 billion illicit market that, that was operating in the United States yep. prior to the modern, you know, legalization period. Um, and, and I think, you know, the approach should have always been of not saying, how do we dismantle this 50 million and replace it with a new stack of revenue streams for licensed operators, but how do we move them over? Um, and clearly like in the illegal market, there was some bad operators. There were some atrocities because they were op operating outside the law. I've heard plenty of horror stories of some personal, you know, crimes against individuals that have happened in the Emerald Triangle, um, elsewhere around the United States. Um, you know, drug deals do go bad when they're illegal. You're dealing with people that are willing to operate outside of the law. 
But, you know, is there what, you know, again, is, you know, looking at that path, how do we help support those people that, you know, were operating a cash business that weren't concerned about taxes or filing forms or anything else, train them up so that they can operate in that space in a very similar fashion to how they were doing it before. And filtering out probably some of the bad operators is certainly, you know, drug cartels and and from foreign countries that were probably involved in a lot of those operations um, that could be filtered out. So, I, I, it's it's complicated, um, you know, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, I'm walking my dog yesterday and uh, I was watching, I, I walked by one of my neighbor's house who was outside by the, by the garden smoking a big fatty, um, you know, and she's not somebody that would strike me as a, you know, active cannabis consumer, but, you know, I, I know her and she's somebody who's got anxiety issues and I'm like, I'm so glad to see that she's smoking wheat. Um, so... Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of things out there. So, I mean, you know, she's outside doing this on, on her patio and, and doing it in a way that she doesn't feel like she has to, you know, worry about a neighbor calling the cops on her, um, about somebody taking her kids away from her. Um, and, and I think that, that we're moving in the right direction. Um, you know, people that have access to medicine, um, you know, I've got a family member with, um, you know, mental health challenges. I've talking to cannabis nurse, certified cannabis nurse now, and looking at, you know, what would be, rather than me go try to experiment of what would help her kind of manage some of her anxiety, um, you know, what, what, what could somebody who's got a lot more experience and a lot more empirical evidence do to help me? This is amazing, right? Um, I mean, I had an herbal distribution business when I was in high school and college, and, um, you know, I wasn't in it really to make a ton of money just to have access and, and share with my friends, but... Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, we've come a long way, baby. Um, yes. So, um, there will be challenges. The, the, the singular most important thing that could possibly happen to our industry right now, today, or this next month or this year is descheduled cannabis. Um, and yeah. everybody should be doing whatever they can to, you know, call their Congress people, um, you know, send Chuck Schumer, uh, chocolates and flowers, uh, whoever else we need to buy influence over to make a very common sense decision. Now, once, if we deschedule, that's going to create kind of this gangbusters opportunity. And we know that going back to the, the alcohol, the mainstream CPG, pharma, tobacco, right? These companies have a vested interest in seeing our industry suffer because if they do deschedule, they're going to be able to come in with enormous amounts of capital and operational efficiency to acquire a lot of assets and, and, and buy a lot of market share and pot bully the market. Um, yeah. One of my big mantras has always been is that if we allow another industry to come in and control the thought leadership of cannabis, we've lost. Um, you know, cannabis is a unique um, opportunity for the world. And um, I think that if, if we can kind of make sure that that compassion um stays a part of what we're doing um, is going to be really critical to the long-term success. Yeah. We'll leave it there. George, thank you for so much for being on with us and taking time out. And thanks for all the work you're doing with the, the conference, especially on the end of social equity and just, you know, putting out a good series that just really tackles a lot of good issues. And like I said, it's not, you're not making the biggest conference in the world. You were part of one of those for many years. Uh, I built them, Jay Bizcon, as you know. And yes, you did. I don't want to necessarily... I was going to say the point, uh, yeah, you did, you are responsible for that, but it's like, now we see what that show's done. And 
what chance do you, I mean, when you get a show that's much more manageable and you can get a great crowd for an event like you did for New York, you're going to get for Detroit, October 10th to the 12th. You get the chance to go and talk about these issues and you're getting the right kind of people there that are going to be there just to go ahead and understand and work together to go and get this industry on the right path where everybody's represented, where the taxation is not so much of an issue. We're working with those, those government officials from a regional or a state or a national front to get the industry to move forward because we need to help all across so that every company can grow. Yeah, listen, I mean, I, I, I'm not at MJ Biz now primarily because of a lot of ideological issues and including, right. you know, and I quote, the owners stop people who smoke pot were icky. Um, I thought yeah. that was a little bit of a uh, red flag, but, um, you know, I mean, they sold the business for a lot of money. I mean, how much of that money did they then turn around and donate back to the industry to advance legalization? I can tell you it's zero dollars. Right. And that's what you wanted to not do. No, no. I love what you're doing, George. Always, is always, always want to make sure you know you have a chance to come on back with us. We'll definitely talk before Detroit. And if we haven't done so yet, we'll make sure to go ahead and, you know, reach out. We'll definitely keep in touch on that. Again, mgunpack.com. Make sure to go ahead. If you haven't gotten your chance ready to go ahead and pre-register, but keep an eye out. Put it on your calendar, October 10th to 12th, Detroit, Michigan, Motor City Casino Hotel, MG Unpack Detroit, 2023. And again, I'm here with George Jage, CEO and founder of, or co-founder of Jage Media. Thanks again for being all with us. Really appreciate you taking time out. Rasco, thank you so much. I really appreciate being able to share what we're doing with your audience um, and what you do too, to continue to, you know, spread the gospel about cannabis um, and help us build a, build a show the industry deserves, something that's led with compassion um, the way that cannabis should be. Absolutely agree. Thank you, Alyssa, for listening to another Blunt Business. We'll talk to you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.